This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 84 of the Laravel News Podcast. We've got a short news week for you this week. There's not a lot. Let's see how many we have. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine. Nine items. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll probably come up with a few of our own as well anyway, right? We usually do. I, I managed to pick out a few community links this week. Ooh, I know that normally that's, that's your shtick, but seeing as... You were not here. I dug some out that looked interesting. Yes. In, in, including one that I picked very specifically for you. Ooh, okay. I'm interested. Ooh, I think I know what it is. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet I probably do. I probably do. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, why don't we jump right... Actually, you know what? Do we have anything interesting to talk about before we jump in? Think about it. Not really. I had something I was going to tell you earlier. I have nothing. I... Oh, actually. Let's hear I it. I do. I... Uh, when I was in New York last Frozen. time for Laracon, okay. I had some red shoes. Yes. This this year, I am upping my conference footwear game, and I have bought some fancy socks to go with Ooh. my to-be-determined fancy Ooh. shoes. Do we have any North Meets South? No, we can't talk about that on the show, can we? Can we talk about that show? Can we talk about that on here? I think we can. I mean, you can. I wouldn't. <laughs> I was wondering if you hadn't made any special socks for, you know, our stickers or anything like that. Or No. No. No, no we, haven't, we, haven't we haven't done, done anything. anything. No. We, we should. Because it's only, it's only, what, seven mm-hmm. weeks out mm-hmm. now. So, if we're going to do something, we should probably get it done soon. We should. Otherwise, we'll be shipping it to a hotel and hoping that they get there and that we get like them. Like we do. Again. Usually. <laughs> yeah, that's usually the, it's usually kind of how, yeah. we, how we roll. Yeah. We're like... We should we should team up with David Hampill or Caleb Porzio, who seem to be cranking out stickers and uh, get them to design something yeah. for us. Those dudes that don't have jobs, they have all the time in the world to make stickers. So, didn't mm. yeah, I know, I know you're gonna avoid that one, dun, dun, dun. not get in that. Sorry, Caleb <laughs> and David, I know you, I know you have jobs. We have a we have a saying in Australia, and it's we'll let that one go through to the keeper. Nice, there you go. Just hands yep. up. <laughs> Let it go through. And there it goes. Okay. Right over. Yep. Not going <laughs> to touch it. All right. Well, why don't we jump in then? Okay. First thing up on the list here, we've got the Laravel enum package for generating enum PHP classes. So I believe we've talked about this before. Laravel enum by Andrea Marco Sartori is a Laravel package for generating enum classes using enum PHP. Uh, so... If you've not heard of an enum before, an enum before is or an enum is essentially a um, I suppose it'd be like a list of options, right? Really, kind of that you can select from that you can mm-hmm. choose. And yeah. so you, I know the one of the things that you've talked about before that you absolutely hate is enums in databases or enums as a column type in a database. So this is not that. This is actually a PHP class that you're going to use to define a list of options and kind of give those list of options a name. So for example, you might have a status column uh, and you might make that an enum. You could have in progress, complete, failed. Another thing that you might have that as an enum would be like a user type, right? So you could have 
admin manager supervisor or you know admin super admin editor uh, those sorts of things right and by putting those into a PHP class uh, you kind of get uh, and specifically with this package you kind of get some niceties that you otherwise would have to hand roll such as validation rules or uh, cedars, like you can select, hey, grab me a random one of these items from this enum. Uh, but I think what we're looking at here specifically uh, is the ability to create them from the command line. So now you can say PHP artisan make enum, and give it a name, status, and then you can pass in the list of different um, options you want, I suppose. So in progress, complete, yeah, fail. Yeah. yeah, and it will go ahead and make that enum class for you. So yeah, interesting little uh, addition on there. Like I said, again, I believe this is one that we've talked about before on the show. Uh, the thing of note here is that you now can do it from the command line. So nice addition. Thank you very much mm -hmm. to Andrea for putting that out there. Very cool. Absolutely. Awesome. All righty. What else we got? Ooh, right up next on the list. Conveniently, it's my turn to speak and it's my thing that we're going to speak about. The second Laracon Australia conference is happening on October 31 and November 1 this year in Sydney, Australia. So uh, we're back at the same venue. Uh, they were really, really good to us last year in terms of having everything set up, having you know a great location, having all of the equipment, having all of the staff, like everything was just there for us. And the best part about the venue is although we sold it out last year, we can actually get them to roll out more seating. Nice. So, really? you know, if we sell more tickets this year or, you know, if we do it again next year or whatever else, then there's plenty of room nice. to grow in this That's venue. Awesome, yeah. Um, and it's nice and central and easy for everyone to get to. So back at the Monkey Bar Theatre Company um, and, and all the same people there. So if you came last year, you know uh, what it's like. And for those of you who may attend for the first time, I think, you know, you find it's a good venue and a good spot. So this year, like uh, Laracon US and like uh, Full Stack Europe and a couple of other conferences, we're going to trim the, the talks down to 30 minutes. Now, this means obviously we're going to have more presentations, but it means that you're going to get more ideas from more speakers. Um, and it's just, it's more digestible because you get rid of all of the, the fluff. You don't have people, you know, spending five minutes making, you know, making time up just by saying, you know, introducing themselves and, and giving the spiel about them. And it's really, because it's only 30 minutes, you've really got to get into the, the crux of mm -hmm. your talk and, and get yep. on with it. So I'm looking forward to being able to, you know, share more, you know, a more broad range of talks and things like that. So um, no no talks have been announced or no speakers have been announced just yet. Um, we've got a rough schedule up on the website. The CFP is open now if you're interested in speaking. And uh, also the, the sponsorship prospectus is on the website for those who may be interested in sponsoring the event. So yeah, definitely check that out. We're at laracon.com.au. Absolutely. For all of you lovely sponsors out there who are looking for an opportunity to push your stuff to the AU crowd. Yeah, this is the one. This is the one to do it with. So I think you guys actually had some Australian-based companies last year, didn't you? Did you have um, Vulture or no? Last year, I think... Yeah, we had we had some community. Some of the community based sponsors were were local to us. One of one of our gold sponsors was a company called Figured. They were based out of New Zealand, um, and they came over. They sent you know they they gold sponsored the the conference, which was great. But they also supported us by sending their people. So I think they had like ten people come and stay for a week awesome. or so in in Sydney. So yeah, it was really good. 
Um, I'm look. I hope I don't get blasted by anyone for forgetting them. But yeah, we had some really great sponsors last year that helped get us uh, off the ground. So Linode and and Titan and you know Larry Jobs and all of the the good people that that we we know and love in the community. So I'm hoping to reach out to a few more Australian based uh, and New Zealand based businesses this year as well. So we'll see how we go with nice. that. Very nice. Okay, so next up on the list, we have Laravel 5.8.18. So we'll do this and then the next release, which is .19. Uh, first thing we have in 18 is that it is now shipped with HTML as a valid extension option for views. So with this release, you can now pass a path to an HTML file rather than a blade file. Uh, and that uh, essentially makes it so um, it, it won't do any compilation on it, of course. So it doesn't do any blade, any of that nice, uh, nice stuff. It just simply renders out the HTML file that you select or that you uh, point it to. So that's an interesting option. Uh, if that's something you're interested in doing, I can see specific instances where that might be useful. One thing I'm thinking of off the top of my head is like if I had like a static page and I'm migrating to a Laravel application or something like that, and I can just kind of well like grab all the HTML out of a particular one and kind of migrate to Laravel slowly over time, I would be able to really easily just route to pass in this HTML view mm-hmm. and and call it good. Uh, so that's pretty handy. The other thing, which is a really nice addition here is, I feel like this has been something that's been a sort of a pain in the past, but now you have a notification callback with a Swift message. So this provides developers direct access to the Swift message before it is fired off. So this is one of those things I felt like was sort of a little bit difficult before to get access to this Swift message, the actual item. Mm -hmm. But uh, this makes it really simple. So you just say message equals new mail message uh, and then message arrow with Swift message and then you pass a closure that will then uh, accept as its first argument the Swift message uh, that is being generated by Laravel before it gets sent out. Uh, so you can do anything that you need to do on that. Uh, I think one of the items that might be interesting there that would be something I would use it for is to set custom X headers. So that's one mm-hmm. way to kind of track where an email is coming from or uh, what part of your application it's it's coming from. Uh, and then if it bounces yeah. or something like that through AWS, you could look at the X headers because it will it'll keep those. You can look at that custom X header and then you know do some logic based on what the uh, what the signature that you attach to that is. Yeah, and and not just that, but I assume that using this you can get access to the message ID, so you could potentially store a reference to all of the emails that you're sending out of your application. So if you know using SES or SendGrid or Postmark or whatever else, and you're using their webhooks, which send back the message ID you can, you know, more easily link up the mm-hmm. mess, you know, the inbound webhook with the message that was sent. So, you know, if you're tracking whether or not um, a client opened an email, like if you're sending an invoice, or if you want to make sure that, you know, if you're tracking that you're sending the emails and you're getting a webhook back to say whether it was delivered or if it bounced or if it was marked as spam, you know, it makes it easier to track yeah, it there sure. as well. So I assume having access to the Swift message because I'm, I'm pretty sure that Swift generates the message IDs um, when they're being sent, that'll be that's hmm, handy. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So maybe you're saying it's generated before it's sent, so you could store it and then. Okay. Okay, I gotcha. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure to be honest. I could be you. wrong, but I I believe the last time I looked at it, that is okay. the case. Yeah. Excellent. So there you go. It's a lot easier way to grab access to that Swift message now. So I think that was the two major changes that we wanted to talk about with 5.8.18. Uh, why don't you take 19 for yeah. us? What do we got going on there? 
The 19 came with um, most notably a performance improvement which affects doing bulk inserts using Eloquent. So uh, an improvement was made to the speed of that when you're doing, are we talking in the order of thousands of items? And the underlying change was essentially made to array flatten to avoid using array, array merge. But if you want to look at more detail of that, you can check out the specific pull request 28614, which we'll link up for you in the show notes. We've also had a in-production method added to the application class. So previously you would have done something like app environment and then pass production. Um, and that would return true if you were in the production environment. Now we've just got a convenience method is production, um, which does that check for you. Uh, next, we've got a, a Dynamo DB endpoint configuration option that had been added. So I've seen this creeping in in the last few releases, different ENV variables where you can have like a MySQL connection string, which is useful for things like, what's that hosting platform? Uh, it's It's predominantly for Ruby, Heroku. Heroku uses like a connection string where you pass like MySQL colon user equals part, comma, you know, semicolon password equals, etc. So it's all in one string rather than having to define five different environment variables for your username and your password mm-hmm. and the host and all that kind of stuff. So we've now got the DynamoDB endpoint configuration option. And lastly, parsing a Redis configuration URL is possible with the URL configuration option, uh, which again is, is similar. So you've got Redis colon slash slash user colon password at hostname um, again rather than having separate user uh, you know configuration options in your env variable uh, in your env file i really like that convention like uh using the url of that yeah. i would be interested to i think heroku gives you that as a string which makes yeah. it easy because you can just copy and paste yeah. it straight away without having to like break it out into the separate variables so various databases are configurable via urls now thanks to contributions from matthew to disco hmm. Um, so if you are after more details on how to configure databases with the URL key, check out the database configuration documentation, which has been updated for these changes. I wonder if they do anything like this with S3 stuff. I don't think they do with file system. It'd be interesting yeah. if they did well, though, right? Like if you could send, because so, it seems like it'd be pretty similar, right? Where you would do like bucket or well, I guess what would you do? Endpoint, bucket, region, username or key secret, yeah. something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it seems like that should be possible. It's possible, but, but uh, these yeah. are, I think these are configure or not configuration, they're conventions. Yeah, but especially if like the, the platform that you're using gives you configuration in that way, it makes mm-hmm. it much easier just to, you know, copy and paste, as I said, instead of having to separate all that stuff. Yeah, like absolutely. It, it does make a lot, you know, it's, it's for me, one of the most annoying things is setting up ENV variables when I'm getting ready to push to production. So, and remembering yeah. to do it. Remembering to do it. And then, so anything I can do to make that easier would be would be nicer. Yeah, be definitely. Nice. Uh, okay, that's 5.8.19. So that's all the releases that we have for this week. Okay, looks like we've got another package here called PHP Array Redactor. So the Array Redactor package is a PHP library by Mark Townsend. Uh, and it redacts array values by their keys. So there's a quick example, which is probably the easiest way to understand what it's doing here, uh, where it has a basically like a login request being made from an API endpoint. So what you could do then is you can new up a new array redactor and you can pass in as the first argument, this request object that you have. And then as a second argument, you can pass a list uh, as an array of keys that you would want to redact. And then you just call arrow redact on that. And what will end up happening is it will return the original request, but in place of those uh, values that you specified for those keys, 
in this case, password and session ID. It will just replace those with the word redacted. And I'm sure that's customizable as well as far as what you want to replace that with. Mm. This might be helpful when you are trying to write out to logs or something like that. So if you wanted to say, hey, a user yeah. failed to log in and we want to log that and we want to just pass the request along, uh, you obviously don't want to be just logging out passwords and those sorts of things. So that's that would be an interesting option for when you wanted to do that. So yeah, it seems like something you might, yeah. you might have on a semi-regular basis that you'd want to do, and this little package just makes it a bit easier. What were you going to say? Yeah, especially especially if you've got like your own array structures, because obviously with eloquent models, if you're logging them, you can, you can use the hidden property on the model itself sure. to stop those things from ever appearing. But if you're building out your own array structures, or even if you're passing JSON strings, it will it will handle that for you as well. So yeah. Yep. Nice little package there. Thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate it. Okay. We also have this GitHub sponsor beta program. Have you seen this? I did I did see it happened at uh was it the big GitHub conference or whatever that they had recently, Git GitHub World or something, or maybe they just announced it um recently. But it's Essentially, a way to enable GitHub users to support open source maintainers and con- and contributors. So according to GitHub's announcement, the program is a new way to show support for open source developers. And I'll just quote directly from their announcement here. The world runs on open source. None of it would be possible without the global team of maintainers, designers, programmers, researchers, teachers, writers, leaders, and more who devote themselves to pushing a technology forward. These extraordinary developers can now receive funding from the community that depends on their work seamlessly through their GitHub profiles. So basically becoming a sponsored developer is limited right now while it's in beta. You've got to apply for it. Um, I think Evan Yu tweeted the other day that he was enrolled in the program and he was looking at moving his Patreon stuff over to the GitHub program. But essentially in future, anyone who contributes to an open source project is eligible to become a sponsored developer in the future. So the sponsorship program is embedded directly into the GitHub workflow and you'll be able to see a sponsor button on the GitHub user page when a developer is in the sponsor program. So there's there's no uh, platform fees during the first year when you support the developers. Yeah, and at the cool. time of writing, GitHub has a sponsor matching fund which will match up to $5,000 per sponsored developer in the first year of their sponsorship. I mean, in, in future, there That's may be a, a nominal processing fee. But at the moment, it's basically if I donate you know, $5 or $10 or $20 to a developer, the developer we'll get that full amount for the you know for the foreseeable future and we'll be matched for that first year right is that what this is yeah saying? up to five thousand dollars yeah that's pretty incredible wow nice thanks github uh kind of along with that they also released um which this is not in the notes but dependabot did you see that as well i think you did actually because you shared it i saw that they've acquired dependabot yeah yeah. So Dependabot essentially monitors your like, okay, so say a composer.lock file, your package.lock file, and we'll scan those on a semi-regular basis for vulnerable packages, right? So uh, there'll be these different security advisories out there that would say, hey, I don't know, maybe Laravel cashier had something where it was, you know, hashing something that was possibly vulnerable to people who were doing blah, 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 whatever, right? And so there's a patch released and there's an advisory put out there that says, hey, Laravel cashier, anybody who's using version 5.4, you need to upgrade to 5.4.2 or else you're in a vulnerable state. So Dependabot will make a pull request for you and say, hey, by the way, you have an out-of-date dependency. It's a security thing. Here's a new dependency that you need to pull into your project. 
So it does that for you, um, and it will do that for PHP, Ruby, JavaScript, I don't know, Python. I think there's a couple other ones. And it'll kind of scan those lock files for you and then and then kind of make those pull requests. So that was also acquired and talked about during the same uh, event that we're talking about here. And so you can actually do that now. I think it's an opt-in thing again. Mm-hmm. We have to go in and enable it. But I've done that for a couple of our applications and I'm kind of messing around with it right now. So there's a new security tab on your repo that you can take a look at it and then say like, hey, enable these different checks for security stuff. So that looks promising. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think the first thing they're starting with is automated security fixes. Uh, and I believe they submit them as as merge requests against your application. So they'll check, you know, as as you said, the the log files for your, you know, for your supported package managers, so Composer or NPM or whatever, and it will submit merge requests to or you know pull requests to your application saying, hey, there's a advisory or or there's a exploit. So the way that we're doing this currently at work is using the Sensio Lab security checker, and we just run that as mm-hmm, part same. of our deployment process as as part of our um, GitLab pipeline. So every time we push a commit, it will run that as the first step. And that way, if there are any vulnerable packages, then it will flag that and it will basically fail the build until that's fixed. So the only downside to that is that it only happens when the merge request is submitted or you've got a, you know, you've kicked off a pipeline. Right. Whereas Dependabot and this, this kind of stuff will do it periodically for you so it'll just look at your application whenever there's you know an advisory and it'll it'll open that pull request straight away for you yeah because if you have like a project that's been sitting up that's like feature complete and has been for like two years right and it's just kind of out there uh you're never going to hear about any sort of security stuff so that's where dependabot basically says yeah we'll run a cron job and make sure that your stuff is up to date we'll check every week or check every a couple days and make sure that you're you're still sitting pretty and if not we'll let you know and um and make a pull request for you. So yeah, pretty cool. Pretty no. cool. Okay, we've also got this Laravel Actions package. So I read up on this a little bit earlier this week. Uh, this looks pretty interesting. So Laravel Actions pack. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Okay, before we jump into this one, one of the thing I was going to say that the security thing does on GitHub is that I think it monitors your your merges, your pull requests or something for keys. Mm-hmm. So it has like different like things that it'll monitor so it has like you know digital ocean keys or aws keys or whatever any number of keys that you might accidentally drop into your repo i think it now with the security thing it will warn you yeah i think it's done that for a little while hasn't it and it would yeah send maybe you an email. maybe it has yeah yeah maybe it has uh i know i think it's kind of grouped into the security tab mm-hmm. now i remember seeing that when i kind of was looking at that cool. so yeah so okay all right sorry Back to the Laravel Actions package. So this is by Loros Liva, L-E-I-V-A, Liva, Liva. Liva. Uh, so basically this introduces a new way of organizing the logic of your Laravel application by focusing on the actions that your application provides. For example, uh, they have a class called Publish New Article uh, and this extends action. The easiest way for me to think about this or describe how the code looks with this is essentially if you were to take a form request object and then put a handle method on yep. it. So uh, you have a authorize uh, method, you have a rules method, and then you now have this new handle method. So once you've defined this new class, you can use these actions in various ways. You can use it as a plain object, a dispatchable job, or as an event listener. And they have uh, a couple examples of how you would use each one of those. And uh, the examples look 
quite compelling, to be honest. Uh, it makes it look like all of that stuff kind of just lives together and it looks really nice inside of a controller uh, and kind of helps to group all that logic together. Uh, I like also that it makes it an invocable job, like or a dispatchable job mm -hmm. as well. So uh, we talked about this, I think, last time where we were talking about Laravel IO yeah. and how they basically dispatch jobs for any of the things that they want to do. So for example, if they wanted to publish an article, or if they wanted to create a new article, they make a job and then they dispatch that job to do that. Uh, well, this allows you to do the same thing. And essentially, all you're doing is just passing the request in, right? It'll handle the authorization, it'll handle the validation, and it will handle the creation of that item all as one, all in one class, yeah. right? Uh, so definitely worth checking out. Looks interesting. And uh, there's a good write-up for that on Laravel News. Thank you, Mr. Paul Redmond, for writing that up for us. Okay, we have this next one with Molly. I was looking at this a little bit earlier this week. Michael, why don't you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, it was announced at uh, Laracon EU in Madrid, I think, which just happened a week or two ago. Laravel, La Laravel Cashier for Molly is a first-party cashier package created and maintained by Sander Van Hooft, which provides an expressive, fluent interface to subscriptions using Molly's billing services. The package is great news for the European Laravel community where Stripe might not be able to fulfill all of their needs. So Molly is a, I guess, EU-based payment provider, similar to what Stripe is, but it's obviously targeted to the specific requirements around, I guess, VAT and um, you know collecting taxes and I, I would say GDPR and all that kind of stuff that's like really important in the EU market. So this is a... It's a. It's been flagged as a first-party package. It's under the the Laravel namespace, but not maintained by Taylor, I guess. So, um, yeah, if you're in the EU and you've you've been wanting to use Cashier but not able to for whatever various compliance reasons, then this is certainly a, a good thing to check out. Sander has published a detailed blog post about the package and describing the need for this kind of integration for European customer support. So. Definitely check that out if you are looking at doing subscription billing in the EU. Well, the other thing he kind of mentions here, which I thought was interesting, and it could be that the US is just behind the times, that's possible. He says, Stripe integration isn't really suitable for serving European customers. As Europeans, we are just not into credit cards that much. Hmm. So that gave me pause. So like, what does he mean by that? Is he just mean, so like, what are the, you know, the alternative sort of funding options with like PayPal? Like for me, that's like, PayPal, yeah. pretty much. I guess Apple Pay. I guess maybe. if they're not using credit um, cards, it gives a way to interface with like your bank account. So we've got um, in Australia, you can do what's called a direct deposit, which is sure. direct from like my bank account to your bank account. I would, I would send you money, but typically that's a manual thing, and it's like there's a lot of overhead to get it set up to to automate it, and it's usually done by the business as well. So like I, I as a business would have to go and set up and I'd have to get your permission to take, you know, to draw money from your bank account once a month. And then I have to engage my merchant facilities or my bank to do that on my behalf. So yeah, it's a, it is a bit of an involved process, but yeah. Yeah, because it seems like they've got like tons and tons of payment providers on mm -hmm. here. So all major payment methods are within reach. It talks about, and I mean, like literally there's an ungodly amount of like icons that I can see. <laughs> it's like, there's just tons of them. So there's Apple Pay, there's PayPal, there's credit cards, there's Klarna, there's Ideal, there's bank transfers. There's, I mean, everything. 
everything. So yeah, that, that looks really, really interesting. It's also multi-currency, uh, which I think mm-hmm. would be helpful uh, for people kind of hoping to deal with that. And their actual checkout process and all that stuff, I know that you're going to be using cashier, but all that stuff looks really, really good. Yeah. So looks um, like Molly, looks like a promising solution. Yeah, it looks like Molly supports credit cards. It supports debit cards and it supports Apple Pay. And from the time of writing of this article, they'll also bake in PayPal support. So yeah, definitely, definitely check that out. Yep. Yeah, it looks really, really good. Cool. So the last thing we have is uh, a tutorial with building a modal with Vue.js and Tailwind CSS. So Jason Beggs, our good friend Jason Beggs, wrote this one up. This is a common thing that you're going to need to do, right? Building a modal of Vue.js. And then, of course, with our most favoritist CSS framework ever, Tailwind CSS. And then Jason Beggs also is the same guy who actually rebuilt Laravel News uh, for Eric using Tailwind um, instead of, I think he migrated away, migrated it away from Bootstrap. Mm-hmm. Is I that right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, this is, you know, I think this is probably something that's that you could find tutorials for, but Jason, uh, of course, is a great teacher, does a good job talking through all of this here uh, in a format that some people prefer, which is a blog post instead of uh, what a lot of these are, which I know is like a video. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know um, Adam actually has a really good video item or a video uh, on this. So I, th- I suppose it's in the uh, building advanced view components though. So it is a paid thing. So this is something you can jump on and take a look at for free. But he talks about all the different challenges you're going to face with like, how do you open and close the modal? How do you deal with adding a transition? How do you handle fixing scroll issues and those sorts of items? So you can take a look at that check that out. Thanks, Jason, for writing that up. Okay, what was this uh, community link that you wanted to talk about here? I'll, I'll get to that one last, but I have three other ones that I wanted to share with everyone that I saw. Oh, sure. Uh, the first one was an article by Brent, who I believe works at Sparsi, and this was an article on PHP in 2019, and it was talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, how as PHP developers, we might cop it from outside folks that, you know, PHP is not a real language, and it's crafty and it's full of bad code and all that kind of stuff because those people kind of moved on from PHP back in the version four days when it was all of those things. And, you know, they may not be aware of of all of the advancements that we've had in PHP in terms of speed and and performance and the object-oriented implementations and all the kind of stuff that's happening now. So Brent goes into a bit of detail about the summarized history of all of that PHP's performance in those days and now and talking about frameworks and how, you know, Symfony and Laravel have like really hoisted everything forward and the adoption of those things as well as the language itself. So definitely worth a read if you're interested in, you know, in sort of why. I mean, I suppose most of the people listening to this podcast won't really be in the in the position of like why PHP, but it might make you take pause, you know, if you've ever thought, oh, maybe I'll go and learn Ruby or, or I'll go and learn Go or whatever else. So definitely give that a read. The other article that I've got here is another one from Caleb Pozio. These people that you so callously refer to as jobless. Eight eight <laughs> accessibility mistakes we Easy. need to stop making. Easy. <laughs> and and he's going about talking about uh, using custom inputs, removing the, the focus outlines on input elements and title tags, placeholders, wrapping inputs in form tags. And, and it really goes into a bit of detail about little things that we as developers can do to make the internet more accessible for everyone. Um, you know, people with vision impairments and hearing impairments and things like that are using assistive technologies and assistive devices to help them browse the internet. And and things that we typically do as developers because, you know, oh, it's, it's extra keystrokes or you, don't, you, you may just not be aware of it. These are some little things that you can do 
just to make the the web a more accessible experience for everyone so uh, that'll be in the in the show notes as well for you to check out if you're interested in that there's eight different practices they're they're pretty straightforward things to do so definitely check those out um, and the and the last thing here is an article from Jeff Madsen called "Using State Machines in Laravel." Yeah. So he goes into basically a high level overview of what a state machine is. A and there's a package that he that he shares from Seb Design called Laravel State Machine, and and talks a little bit about that and using it, and you know how you can make it function in a Laravel application. So. I knew you'd enjoy that because I know that you like the state machine. Yeah, I do. And it's he does a good job uh, of kind of wrapping it up and making it digestible. Uh, so he basically says that the state machines are validation rules for your internal state uh, status changes, which I would agree with. I think that's correct. And one of the things that that I really think is valuable that you that you get with some of the state machine packages is a visualization of the different states and all the transitions between them. And so I think typically what you'd call that is like a state chart. And I think mm-hmm. that was the first thing that really made it click for me to understand like, oh, aha, I see that's how that is. Okay. And so X state was the first thing that kind of introduced that to me, uh, which is a JavaScript library that handled that is like a state machine sort of deal. And so this package that he's talking about, I think may actually provide that, but he didn't mention it. So what you can do is I think after you set up kind of your validation rules, if you will, for your status changes, you can then basically run a command that generates out a state chart for you that allows you to see here's where the different things come from and go to. Uh, and I always find that to be really, really helpful. So yeah, he's he's got a, a great article here. It's not that long of a read, actually. It's a five-minute read. So definitely worth checking out if you've uh, not dealt with state machines before. And uh, yeah, great place to get started on those. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Okay, well, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to episode 84. If you'd like show notes for this episode, you can find them at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 84. If you like the show, yes, rate us up in iTunes or your podcast of choice. That would be great. But also, feel free to share us with your friends. We really appreciate that too. Uh, Eric Barnes, our, uh, what should we call him? Did you call him now? Our founder. Progenitor the our, other week? Is that what the... Our progenitor. That's it. Yep. Our progenitor. Yeah. He, he puts out a tweet every uh, time we release an episode. So retweet that, like that, share it with your friends. That would be hugely appreciated as well. And of course, if you ever have questions, hit us up on Twitter at Michael Dorinda, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News on Twitter. Love hearing from you folks out in the Twitter land, the Twitterverse as well. All right, man. I think that's it. It's 1243. I'm going to go get some shut eye. No worries. Enjoy. All right, brother. Thanks, See you. Bye, Bye, everyone. <laughs>